Good morning, Journey. Oh, we can do better. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. I taught English for years, so I do with all my students, too. It helps. It builds my confidence, actually, so thank you very much. Um, I haven't done this in a long time, actually. Still, like, spoken in front of a large group of people. You know, there was something happened the last couple of years. You may have heard about it. Kind of got us locked up and locked in and things like that. In Europe as well, we were pretty isolated. So they say when you haven't done something in a long time, you can get some anxiety. And I remember this as a kid. They probably don't recommend this anymore. They used to say, you should like imagine everybody in their underwear. <laughs> don't worry, I'm not doing it for a number of different reasons. It's okay. I mean, I know it has to do with like leveling the playing field, you know, because clothes can be like a status symbol and things like that. So we all feel the same. Um, what I'm actually thinking about is something different. I was thinking about imagining your, all of your feet. Don't worry again, we're not going to go places weird with that. But there is something interesting about it that I want to talk about today. It's actually beautiful feet. Um, I think you all may not even know it yet, but you already do have beautiful feet. And you may be thinking, ah, you haven't seen my feet. And probably my wife will attest that maybe my feet are not the most beautiful feet. But, you know, we think of feet, we think of, well, maybe I got some corns, or maybe I got some ingrown toenails, or I got some fungi, or something on them. It doesn't matter what. But you might be thinking that my feet are not the best feet in the world. But actually, Jesus wants us all to have beautiful feet. Because um, it's not so much how our feet actually look. Again, it's not even so much about us. But it's about the purpose and the reason of which those feet come. It's the purpose and the reason in which we've been sent that actually give us this kind of a beauty, this kind of a, something that's just different, otherworldly and special. And I want to talk about that today. So... Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you you have to take off your shoes or anything and like examine each other's feet to make sure who has the prettiest. But um, what I want to talk about is beautiful feet. Before we get there, though, if it's okay, I like to pray. Um, I feel more comfortable when I pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide me. That way he speaks more than I speak less. So it's okay, I like to pray. Dear Father, as we already um, sang today, we are so thankful for your faithfulness. If there's one thing, Lord, you are for sure to us is faithful. You are kind. You are giving. Um, the sun comes up each and every day, and these great things happen each and every day, Lord. These, these, this grace and this mercy you constantly give us, and most of the time we're just so blind to it. We, don't, we just take it for granted that you are just so great to us. So I ask, Lord, that today you just open our eyes to how great you truly are. I pray that you'll speak to us like children, as a loving father. Um, we come to you as children, humble, Lord, ready to receive, children with open hands, because children don't have much to offer, but they have a lot to receive. And so I pray, Lord, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear as children, and that you'll speak to us, each individual, as they need to hear, Lord, because I know you know each and every heart. You know the hopes, you know the struggles, you know the hurts and the pains and the joys of each and every heart. I don't know, Lord, but you do. And so I pray that through the Holy Spirit, you'll speak to each person as they need to hear, Encourage them where they need to be encouraged. Challenge them where they need to be challenged. I pray that you will keep us from distractions of smelling wonderful cookies or the, do we, you know, get, bring everything with us or even tomorrow with the work week starting again. It's so easy to get distracted, Lord. I just pray that we can be like Mary. We can sit at the feet of Jesus right now and just put all the distractions aside and just pay attention to what you have for us um, to learn from you. 
And I pray for the enemy that you keep him away with his works and his effects, that he will not be able to take the seed of your word, and that, he'll, that the seed will find root and it will grow and it will produce fruit, Lord, that will be um, giving you glory and honor. So I pray for all of these things, that you bless all of these things. In the glorious name of Jesus, I ask for these things. Amen. Okay, so um, what I want to dive into is found in Romans chapter 10. So if you have a Bible or you got an app or maybe you haven't memorized, I don't have it memorized yet, all the Bible at least, but um, it's found in Romans chapter 10. And the main verses we're going to look at is 14 and 15. But just to give you a little bit of a background of this, um, this letter is written to a church in Rome by this guy, the Apostle Paul. And Apostle Paul was um, Jewish. He was born as an Israelite. He was trained as an Israelite. He was actually a Pharisee. He he knew the culture, and he grew up in that that world that was his tribe. And in this area, he's talking about his heart for his people, how he just wants all of them to be saved. He wished that all of them would come to know that Jesus actually was the promised Messiah, the one from the very beginning in Genesis, the one who would bless all of the nations, that his heart is for them. And so he's starting with that kind of a heart of wanting to see these things. And um, maybe a question to ask yourself when thinking about this is thinking about, well, what's, what's your tribe? What's the group that, that God raised you up in? Like the people whom you, you connect with, the people whom you know, the people whom you're friends with, um, <clears throat> as your heart just breaks from, and you just wish that the Lord would actually reach out to them, that the Lord would open their eyes to the gospel. What is your tribe? I know for myself and my, my wife that ours is like, um, and we live in this town called Luchanets, and our heart is really for like the 30s to 50-year-olds. It's kind of like our age group. You know, we're somewhere in between there. Um, young families. That's where our heart is for. I mean, we have a lot in common. You know, we, all, we have kids. We have homes. We have jobs. We like to ride bikes. We like to do these different things. And so we kind of have a tribe of people whom it's really natural for us, actually, to develop relationships with and to talk with. Um, and then the question maybe to ask yourself is, what's your tribe? Where is it that God has ne- uniquely placed you? Um, whether it be in work or in the, your neighborhood, whether it be your hobby, what's that group of people where your heart, like Paul, just breaks for, and you just would lo- love the gospel just to shine into the area? So Paul starts with this, and he's talking about this, um, his group, and he says in verse, well, I said 14, but in verse 13, he says, for everyone, chapter 10, so I don't know if I told you, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verse 13, he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I love that. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you ever thought about that? Everyone, anyone, everyone and anyone, which means for God, it doesn't matter. There is no sin that is too great. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no past that is too checkered. Anyone and everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, he will save. He will accept them. There is no one too too great for him, no one too small for him. There is nothing to keep them away from him. Anyone, he says, anyone and everyone, anywhere who call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. It is a promise. It is a guarantee. We can never think that this person is too far off or they're too far gone. And we maybe have that guy in your head. Maybe it's your second cousin or your uncle. I don't know who. But you're thinking, oh, that guy, no way. No way, no way. And Paul says, no. Even that guy, even her. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about their lifestyle choices. It doesn't matter what they've done up until now. 
Christ said on the cross, it is finished. It is paid in full. And those who receive it will be saved. That is the promise. And they will be held and become a child of God. And they will belong to him forever. And we together as a family, one day we'll see him face to face. And we will all praise him together. Even that one who you thought never could. Even that one. We all got that one for sure. Paul says, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. Which is amazing, right? Then he goes, how then can they call on him who they have not believed? That's a good question. If anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved, but what if they don't believe in him? And I think it's the message. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says, how can they believe in the one whom they have not trusted? If they even, how can they believe in somebody who they don't even know? They haven't trusted him. They don't know him. Who is this guy? Like they never heard about him. How can they even call upon him? So Paul's kind of follow this logic. He says even... And how are they to believe in him who they have not heard? If they never heard about this Jesus, and they never heard about this God who will save anyone who calls upon them, how are they going to know? And how can they call on him who they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are to they hear without someone preaching? Now, preaching. I know, um, I have to say this. When I was, I think when I was 19, um, I was not living with or for the Lord at all in my life. At that time, I was like, you know, I believed in God. I, I believed in Jesus. But I was like, you know, this is your thing. This is my thing. This is, you can do what you want. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I was not interested in being part of his kingdom, his work, or anything among the matters. And I was with this young woman, and she told me, she's like, I think you'd make a really good youth pastor. And I said, I think you're really insane. Um, <laughs> I don't like kids, I don't like talking in front of people, and I'm never going to preach. I'm never going to do that my entire life. Be careful, never say never, because God might have something for you you don't expect. Um, but when I think of preaching, and we think about preaching and sharing, I think sometimes evangelism can have like a, almost a dirty word context. When people say evangelism, like sometimes in my mind, I, it used to happen still in ASU, um, Arizona, Arizona State University, there'd be a guy out there on a box, and he'd be telling Everybody, how God hates this group, and God hates that group, and if they don't do this, like God hates them, and they better do this because they're going to go to hell. And we think of that, like that kind of a, a scenario. Or maybe we think it has to be controversial, like we have to confront, right? We've got we to gotta get them to understand, and we've got to win arguments and things like that. So a lot of us, I think, when it comes to evangelism or this idea of preaching, we feel like that's not for me, or that's too, it's too much. I, I, I'm not really going to do that. But I don't think that's what Paul's really talking about, because preaching is really just proclaiming. It's to say something. It's to say a truth. In the sense that I can say, I woke up today at 6.30 in the morning. It's true, I did. I proclaim that. As I say, Jesus rose from the dead. I proclaim that. It's the same thing. I'm just simply saying what has happened. See, the gospel is not advice. I think Tim Keller says this. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel is news. It's something that has happened. And that's all we do is we just share something that has happened, and we believe it, and we trust in it to be true. We trust that Jesus is who he says he was, that Jesus did rise from the dead, and right now he is reigning in heaven, and he is calling all people to himself, and that God is waiting because he does not wish to lose even one. It's not that God is um, unable to judge, that God is unable to bring it out. He's simply waiting out of mercy. That's what I believe, and that's what we share with people. So when you think of preaching and evangelism, please don't think of like, you know, I got to get in somebody's face and I don't have all the right arguments or things like that. I don't think that's what is really expected of us. I think the more important thing I think is in, um, that Peter actually tells us 
is that we just need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. That's all we got to do. And it says, with gentleness and respect. Um, I feel like sometimes, in some circles, that gentleness and respect is forgotten. Like, it's not, again, it's not, we're, it's not like I'm some super great guy because I know this truth and somebody does it and that's why I'm better than them. It's like, no, actually, I know I'm probably worse than you because I believe the gospel. So I actually know who I actually am. <laughs> like, I understand my fallenness and my brokenness. I know how much I need to be saved. And it's actually causing me to be humble and caring towards the person I'm talking to who does not yet see that or understand that. And I could probably believe they might even be more of a moral person than I am. They might be better parents than I am, a better husband than I am. But the problem is they still don't know Jesus. And that's what I want them to understand. But I can share from my own experience. That's what I want to do. Um, to put it like in a, uh, to illustrate it, um, I would say in the last three days I've been converted to something different, something new I didn't know about before. Um, we're, my family, my parents live in Phoenix, Arizona, and so we're staying with them. And we wanted to drive out here. And there's seven of us, so I started writing all my friends. I'm like, does somebody have a car we can borrow that we can drive to California? And one of my friends said, yeah, I got one. I'm like, was it a seven-seater? He's like, yes, it's fantastic. And he goes, well, I just have to teach you how to use it. I'm like, it's a car. I know how to drive a car. Um, I've been driving a car for a long time. I used to be a delivery driver. He's like, no, it's a little bit different because it's an electric car. I'm like, okay, I haven't driven one of those yet. So he brought it over, and he's like, you got to try it out because it's different. And it is. It's different. Like, I had to learn, like, how to open it. And how I open it is you just don't do anything. You just have an app on your phone. You walk up to it and hit a button, and the door opens. But even then, it's different. It's not a normal door handle. Um, I got to learn how to, like, shift it and then how to drive it. And then probably the scariest thing is my friends also said, he goes, um, Noah, before you take it, let's go on the freeway because there's a few more features you have to learn. I said, okay. So we're driving on the freeway, and he goes, okay, so click this twice down and take your hands off the wheel. And I said, nope. Like, like, I'm like, dude, you got kids too. Like, we don't need to die together on the freeway. We don't need to have this, like, Thelma and Louisa, like, moment, you know, <laughs> jumping off a cliff. There's cars all around. Is this turning? I'm like, I'm not going to do that. And he's like, just trust me. I'm like, <sighs> and I had to think, how much do I actually trust my friend? I really had to think, how much do I trust my friend that I'm going to click this thing and I'll take my hands off the wheel? And I thought, okay, I've known John for long enough. Well, I'll trust you, John. Did it and let it go. And it's, and it actually went. It was crazy. Like, it just locks itself, and it keeps driving in this line. I can set it up to, t like, how much distance and space between the car in front of me. And so, like, if somebody got in front of me, the car would back off, and it was great. I shut it off really quick and told them I was too stressed out to drive it further like that. But <laughs> I did it. Now, what I just did is I told you an experience I recently had, something new I learned. Um, I don't work for Tesla. I don't represent them. It's not my company. It's not my brand. I don't get anything from them. I'm not telling you to go buy a car. I'm just telling you it was my experience with the car. That's all I've done. We can do the exact same thing with Jesus. That's all we do. The exact same thing. You just tell him, I didn't know this guy. And then all of a sudden my eyes were open to this wonderful truth that Jesus is alive. And I could personally know him. And this is how I came to know him. And that's what you do. You just share. And people can say, I don't agree with that, or I can't accept that. And you say, okay, that's your thing. But the truth is, that's what I do believe. Yeah. And we do that with a gentleness and respect. That's all we got to do it with. So don't feel too intimidated by it. I think we're so afraid of being rejected. Um, I was even reading about this guy recently. He apparently wrote a book and did a TED Talk where, like, 
he was so afraid of rejection that he um, planned on getting rejected 100 times each day for like so many days. Have you guys ever heard about this? So like, he'd go to like a fast food restaurant and he'd ask for a refill on his cheeseburger. Because he knew they would say no. And he just did this again and again and again and again. And then he started learning was, is actually our fear of rejection is something so silly. Like we don't need to be so afraid of it or intimidated by it. It's not a reject rejection of us. It's just a rejection of what we're asking for or what we're sharing. So I think as a church, we don't have to be super afraid about being rejected. Because again, we are simply ambassadors, right? I am not Jesus. I am not the gospel. Jesus has promised this. Jesus has promised he would send the Holy Spirit. He will convict and he will convince the world of the truth. That is his responsibility. Jesus said that he is the shepherd. He is calling all the sheep to him. They will hear his name and they will respond. That's his responsibility. What I was told to go and be a witness of this truth. That's all I am, a witness. It's something I've seen. It's the same if I saw a car accident. I wish I had before and I had to go to court for it. And they asked, did you see the car accident? I said, yes. That's all I did. I was a witness of a car accident. We are a witness of a different kind of thing that happened to us. And that is Christ working in our lives. We are simply witnesses of it. We just share it and let the Lord do what the Lord does. The Lord will argue. The Lord will, he'll get in there. He'll talk to them in the middle of the night. He will cause them to have questions. And I have seen that happen. It's the Lord work. It's slow. It's secretive. But it does happen. And he will call. And he will bring. And it will be amazing when we get to see it happen. We just simply share and pray. So when Paul says this, so how can they know unless somebody preaches? How can they know unless somebody tells them? Then he also goes to say, um, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? So unless we are sent out, how can they even hear it? How, if, if we're not going somewhere, if we're not part of something, how can, they even, how can we even get there to open our mouths? Um, this sentness, maybe sometimes we think in terms of like maybe the Lord might send, you know, Alicia, he sent her somewhere. Maybe the Lord sent me to Slovakia. But I think the sentness is a little bit different even. It doesn't have to be so much like this special calling I'm sent to this particular place. Because Jesus said, it says the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So we already all, all sent. We're to be in his world, not of this world. We are his witnesses here. We've already been sent. We've been sent to our neighborhoods. We've been sent to our families. We've been sent to our, our friends that we hang out with. We've already been sent to these places. We are Jesus' messengers in these little creeks and cracks everywhere in the world. And I think especially now it is so important um, living in a post-Christian world at least especially in Europe, where um, I haven't lived here for 18 years, so I don't know exactly how it is here, but I've seen it in Slovakia, where I think percentage-wise it's about 80% Catholic, baptized in Catholicism, but the majority of the people don't really believe in anything, or they have some ideas about it, but they don't really know anything about it. And so for most of them, they have this idea, of we've already heard about Jesus, we're rejecting Jesus, or we already kind of know what the church is about, and we want nothing to do with the church. And so the majority of people within our age group don't go to church. They're not interested in going to church. Um, they might show up, if it's, they'll show up for your wedding. I hope they would show up for your funeral if it's going to be the church. But otherwise, they're really not going to come to anything. But it doesn't mean that they aren't searching and they aren't hungry for truth. What I've come to realize is, though, that same group, they won't come to a church function. But if we simply said, hey, do you want to come to my house and have some hamburgers? They'd say, Yeah. Okay, so we started having people come, like, for example, our place, we started having people come in for hamburgers and talking. And usually when you get together with a group of people, and our kids will play together, our kids will play together, and we're hanging out for five hours, you know, you talk about politics, and always religion always comes up. 
Faith will always come up, and they all know what I believe, and so they'll ask me questions, and I'll answer questions. And over a couple of years, we built up enough trust with this group that eventually they had a lot of questions. I said, hey, you guys want to come to my house for a discussion group? And we're just going to talk about the parables of Jesus. And I was like thinking maybe we get like three or four. And they said, yeah. And actually it's like seven, about seven people now who most of them, again, never been to church, have no church background whatsoever. Again, not super interested in going to a church, but they are definitely interested in Jesus. They are definitely interested in Jesus. And I feel like in that area, we have been sent. Like that's where our tribe is. That's where we belong. And it's a place where we can bring truth and grace into that group. And I believe every single one of you, Jesus has sent you somewhere. And he's sent you to a group where you can share with them, that you can be a light for them in the way you live. And that is the way you live, because maybe you think sometimes too, like, oh, yeah, but no, my witness isn't that great, and this isn't that great. And I say, you know, like, or maybe my story conversion isn't so dramatic. <sighs> sometimes it bothers me, sorry. But I love dramatic conversion stories, but also the, like, undramatic conversion stories, because I don't think there's such a thing as non-dramatic conversion. Like, you were dead and Christ resurrected you, right? <laughs> That's pretty amazing. <laughs> you know, you were walking in death. You were in sin and you did not realize it. Maybe because it was pride because you thought you had it all figured out. And he still broke you and said, no, you don't got it all figured out. And I will still resurrect you. That's what happened to you, which is pretty amazing. So nobody has a lame res- um, testimony, I think. Um, the second thing is, that maybe you think of the way I live. And again, it's not me. I don't proclaim Noah. I don't share the gospel of Noah because that would not be good. You know, it would be very bad. Jeremy's laughing because when I was younger, sometimes I'd quote Bible verses to them and they didn't know. They're actually from the Bible. I'm like, what is that from the book of Noah? But anyway, so it's Proverbs. They, that, sometimes they didn't trust me if I was actually quoting it correctly. But no, I don't proclaim me. I don't share me. I share Jesus. And I share even in my brokenness, even in my fallenness, it is still Jesus who I cling to. It is still Jesus who I believe in. And even in my worst, Jesus still loves me. He still holds to me. And he will still claim me as his own. And he will never forsake me or leave me. That's what I share with them, is even in my brokenness and my faults, just like they are, I am accepted in the love of God, just like they can be if they simply just open their eyes to faith. That's what I proclaim. So don't worry about your testimony. Don't worry about those things. We proclaim Christ, right? That's who we proclaim, the Lord, and whom they can proclaim so that they may be saved. That's who we do it with. So, I believe somewhere you've been sent. I do believe that. Now, going back to the feet thing, this is where he gets to. He goes, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Um, To put this in context, he's actually quoting one of the prophets, I believe it's Isaiah. And... Maybe this doesn't quite make sense. So it's like beautiful feet on the mountains. Like, what are you talking about here? So let me give you a context. The context was, there was this vision, I believe it was Isaiah was talking about, that Jerusalem had just fallen. It was burning to the ground. The kingdom has fallen apart. And the people are like, how is God going to bring out his promises? You know, how is God still going to work it out? Everything around us is falling apart. There's war. There's famine. There's this distress. People are being taken. We're prisoners. And maybe you feel the same way. This world's kind of not, you know, stable. We're thinking... This is happening, this is happening, that's going on over there, and what's going to happen? And so the people were in this state of worry and concern. And it said one of the watchmen on the tower was waiting and watching. He said he saw someone running to the city. He saw someone running from the mountaintop. And this is the way it used to work back then. This is how you send a message. You couldn't have sent a text, right? You couldn't send a call. What they would do is they had guys designated runners. That's what they did. And they said, run. <laughs> you ran as fast as you could. And they run with one or two messages. Either one message was, the king has fallen. 
dig in, build trenches, get ready because the enemy is coming. Children, women, get to the hills. That was the one message they could send. They came with that message. They brought you advice. Get ready to fight. Things are bad, right? That's the one message they could bring to you. Or they could bring another message. And the other message they would run and they would say is, peace, the king has won. Everything is okay. Peace, everything is okay. The king is victorious. That was the other message they could bring. And what Paul is getting a picture of and that Isaiah was talking about was this messenger, even in the midst of everything that's happening, there's a messenger running. He's up on the mountain and he's yelling from the mountain, peace, the king is victorious. Peace, the king has won. And you can imagine the feet of that runner. You know, think about it, barefoot, running through the desert, kicking up rocks. His feet would be bloodied. They'd be bruised. They'd be scarred. But people would go, how beautiful are those feet? Because of the message in which they bring. Because of the message that's coming with them, saying, peace, the Lord is victorious. So church, coming back to it, maybe you didn't already realize it. You already got beautiful feet. That's, that's what we are. We get to be that guy. We get to be the guy on the mountain saying, peace, the Lord is victorious. Peace, he's overcome. Peace, just come and, come and learn and be a part of his kingdom, which again goes back to our message. Our message isn't one of um, get right, get better, try harder, blah, 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 blah. You suck, I'm awesome. That's not the message we proclaim. The message we proclaim is peace. He has made peace with you. As it says that the Lord has already reconciled all things to himself. So therefore be reconciled to God. Meaning God has taken the first step. He has already proclaimed peace. He's already proclaimed friendship. He is standing there holding a hand going, to those who receive me, I will receive them. That is the message we preach. That is the message we proclaim. So church, I want to encourage you. Think about your feet. Think about having beautiful feet. Think about where you have been sent. Think about how can they know unless they hear. How can they know they believe unless you tell them who it is whom you trust in. But don't have to force it. I believe the Lord will supply. The Lord will give you opportunities. Just with gentleness and respect, offer the peace which you have received in Christ. Offer the hope in which you have in Christ. And may the Lord give you, every one of you, beautiful, beautiful feet. Can I pray for us in closing? Is that okay? May I pray? Okay. Dear Father, sometimes these promises that you give us, I believe they're, they're, they're too wonderful for words. Um, just the, the position in which you hold us, the, the opportunities you had given us. When I think of everything that Christ has accomplished through the cross and his resurrection, Lord, it is so amazing to know this life that we have now is not in us, but it's in him. And that we get to be a part of this great and wonderful thing of you reconciling all the world to yourself. I pray for journey of the church here today, Lord. I pray for each and every one of them. Help them to understand their sentness. Help them to see their tribe. And give them opportunities to simply give the hope that they may say, the Lord is victorious. There is peace and you can have it too. You can have the peace in which I have. You can have the hope in which I have. You can have the forgiveness in which I have. And you can have this new life in Christ in which I have. That may they do this and may you just start a movement. That this, the city will be different and the messengers will continue to grow and grow and grow. And may these mountains be full of beautiful feet. And may they continue on through the rest of the world, Lord, as you do this. As you, as you continue to call 
more and more people to yourself. I pray for a boldness and a confidence, but not in ourselves, but in you, Jesus, that you are going to accomplish these things. You are already doing these things, and all we simply do is join you in what you're already doing, and that is such a huge privilege and an honor, Lord. So may we take up this um, truth, may we apply it, and may you encourage us and strengthen us as we seek to do it. And may you do a great work that I know you're already doing it here. I already see it. And may you can just continue to bless it, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Right?